Welcome to Obsessive Comic Disorder with me, your host, Gene DeWeber. Today, my guest is Benjamin Tier. Hello. Also known as Benjamin Put Fear into Anyone Who Watches a Stand Up. I guess that's true. That's a little bit true. <laughs> I can be kind of intimidating. <laughs> I like to think I'm a big softie, though. You, you are. You're you're like a you're like a bear. I I, I very much am a Berry bear. You're uh, like a drunk Irish bear. I, I bear. Yeah, I love I love salmon, uh, smoked trout, uh, all different kinds of berries, and uh, <laughs> just rough winter sex <laughs> in my cave. <laughs> no lube. No lube at all. No. None. None. None whatsoever. I mean. The, the berries can be used as a kind of lubricant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's... Does, uh, does I that haven't just... had any sex all winter. Oh, okay. Does that, like, kind of try to recreate the, like, the feeling, like, the look of virgin sex at that point? Like, you just have, like, <laughs> berry juice just flowing out? Virgin sex um, is not something that I've ever had because mm. I am a virgin. Now, I, <laughs> I feel... <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of feel like one again because uh, it really has been a very long time. Yeah. Um, and not just because I've been well, being responsible, but because I am an irredeemable sack of shit. <laughs> um, but I have been responsible, too. I know the last year, like Tinder and Bumble and all the apps have been sending me notifications every day, <laughs> just like begging me to come back. <laughs> and it, the, at the peak of COVID, like when like the hospitals were full and it looked like it was at its absolute worst, I was getting some of the like the most obnoxious notifications from the dating apps. And I was just like, it just seemed so detached from (laughs) the way the world was at the time. But now, now I have no excuse and I have to face the fact that it is my personality and not a deadly virus that is repelling uh, pussy. Self-awareness, uh, though, that's that's an important step to uh, getting better, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We that is that that is a silver lining. I just like the fact that a bunch of apps were just like, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I always thought it would be funny, like, because Netflix has its are you still watching yeah. uh, notification. Um, I used to use untapped to Mm. keep track of the beer that I've been drinking. Mm. And I always thought it would be funny, like if I checked in like 10 different beers in one day, if it would just like (laughs) stop and be like, are you sure you want to keep doing this? (laughs) These are high alcohol beers, buddy. Uh, What's going on? (laughs) Something you want to talk about and like have it like redirect you to like a crisis line or something. (laughs) So I, I, I stopped using the app because like, yeah, it's cool to, like, keep track of the beer that you're drinking, but, like, it also feels like you're you're kind of punishing yourself. You're just kind of like, yeah. yep, this is my eighth one in two hours. Like, <laughs> does it eventually just call you an Uber or, like... <laughs> That's actually, that would be pretty fucking cool yeah. if those two linked up, um, especially if you're, like, indicating that you are, in fact, out and about. Um, cause there are a lot of breweries and, uh, craft beer bars where, I mean, I don't know if this is still a thing, but it was in 2019, um, where if you would check in and review the beer that you're having, it would like show up on a TV screen. Really? So you'd get that, you'd be out in public in a social setting and you'd still get that validation dopamine rush of social media <laughs> on a TV in a bar. 
It's now. OK, now that I just said all that out loud and I'm thinking back to that, that is so fucking weird to do yeah. that, to have just be like, yep, Benjamin just drank the porter and he gave it five stars. Like, that's right. I did. I did do that. Everyone can see that I did that. <laughs> Benjamin's parents are very worried about him. Because <laughs> it's all public. The whole world can see it. But yeah. It's most important that everyone in that bar can see it <laughs> as it happens. <laughs> Benjamin has had 10 drinks today. <laughs> 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 Someone should give Benjamin a ride home. <laughs> and with those 10 drinks, he's also had 10 shots of vodka. How is he still standing? Is a question that my phone If my if my phone asked me that every night, I don't I don't think anything would change. Honestly. <laughs> it should be, but I'd just be like, shut up, phone. <laughs> well, it, it yells at me whenever I'm listening to music. It yells at me that I should turn the volume down. And I'm just like, who the fuck are you to tell me what to do? Also, had an iPhone for years and I just got the 12. And this is the iteration that they decided to, to chastise and guilt <laughs> users for <laughs> blasting deep dark electro house like come on i feel like it should just be suggesting counseling really at that point <laughs> like I, I think all it's indicative of that i have to have my music at full blast is a too many people try to talk to me who i don't want to talk to and b i am hard of hearing <laughs> because of the aforementioned Overusage of the phone product, which is what I'm saying. It's too late, iPhone 12. The damage <laughs> is done. And then B, having flashbangs and OC grenades and CS canisters explode next to my face for the better part of a year, I think has done some damage. No, I think it's all in your head. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> But we also have to take into account the things that happened immediately next to my head. Mm. <laughs> Just don't know if that's uh, the American way. Well, know. we got to a point where I, I used to wear like in the early summer of 2020, I'd wear uh, earplugs mm. uh, to every protest. And then I just stopped because one there was one night I had a pair of earplugs that was too good. Oh, and I, I, I couldn't hear what anyone was saying. And then as more and more people started to wear gas masks, that did not help me in understanding what anyone was saying. And in those situations, like you really need to understand what people are saying to you immediately. And so I just stopped wearing them. And, you know, when the loud things, the, the bad things happen, <laughs> uh, it didn't bother me as much. So I was just like, oh, OK, yep, my hearing's damaged. Never getting that back. Cool. Now I can just not worry about <laughs> earplugs anymore <laughs> when you said the loud things all i thought was like there needs to be nursery rhymes written about these protests i you know <laughs> if you put that kind of thought out there into the world which it's going to be out there now <laughs> that will happen yeah if there's any listeners which i don't think i, I don't have any yet because this hasn't even released by the time we're, we're recording right now send in your uh nursery rhymes into the ether i'm not even gonna get your email just do it and tag something i can think of what's what's great about this is off the top of my head i can think of multiple people 
who would do this. Hmm. In fact, I can think of someone off the top of my head who has done similar. He raps. Mm. And some of them are in a kind of like jokingly in a nursery yeah. rhyme format. So that's no shoe. But I think if DJ Elrad were to hear this, I mm. think that collective could whip something up too. So if you're listening, yeah. no shoe, DJ Elrad, anyone else, give us give us nursery rhymes for this show specifically about the protests. Yeah. Um you can you can actually if you in all seriousness, you can email to nearlyfunctionalcomics at gmail.com. That's right, I'm rocking that Gmail. I'm both talking about anarchy and yet using the most <laughs> spied on <laughs> the most the the probably one of the most insidious uh, <laughs> providers that you could use. Uh, I use Gmail too, but I don't you know use it for that. Not that I would ever do that. You know? <laughs> nope. I all of my uh, revolutionary bring down the government emails are all in my Gmail. That's that's what I do. <laughs> what you're saying is they already know. So. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just lonely and I want someone to hang out with me. <laughs> it's comforting to know that someone's always watching. <laughs> <laughs> if they can give me feedback on my masturbation technique, I I'm not against it. Yeah, so I guess I mean it's the eye who would check up on how you're doing it, right? Yeah. And then would the feedback come from fate or from would the finger pay you a visit? Hmm. I feel like fate would have the feedback, but then the finger would give it to you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause f- yeah fate. Fate would know all. Yeah. Yeah. In case anyone doesn't understand what we're talking about right now, this episode we will be talking, at one point, we will be talking about V for Vendetta. That is the book by Alan Moore and some artists that I'm trying to find. David Lloyd. David Lloyd. Because, you know, artists don't matter. Um, well, it's funny that on your copy, oh no, he's he's on the spine with, oh, okay. with Moore. There we go. We got the deluxe edition that they released, and somehow I got a slash on the back, which I'm just going to say it's V. He he came back from wherever. Yeah, now it's even more deluxe. Yeah, it's, it's super deluxe. I have a paperback, which is always dangerous because it's a paperback that I'm borrowing from someone else, mm. and I destroy books. So I people will let me borrow books, and anytime anyone does that, I need to let them understand, like... It's not coming back in this condition, <laughs> if it even comes back at all. Because as we discussed earlier, I'm a bear. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I claw through that shit. And this, I mean, this was fun because I've, it's been a while since I've like actually had the attention span to read a book. And it's been even longer since I've read a, a graphic novel. And this, this is actually probably in the best possible condition that it could be in. It's for the audience. It's intact. And yeah. it's, it doesn't have any writing in it because I felt weird annotating someone else's graphic novel. <laughs> so I didn't do that. And it looks like it's a, a lightly used yeah. book from a normal human being. Yeah, it's uh, it's V for Vendetta, not A for annotations. Yeah. <laughs> I've been calling it V for Velveeta. <laughs> there was some Velveeta discourse on Twitter and... I genuinely looked at the book and thought it said V for Velveeta, and I was just like, wait, what? Oh, okay. Yeah. What you don't know, Ben, is that the material they use for the paper can also be melted on macaroni noodles. I believe they are made of similar material. (laughs) 
Because here's the thing. I'm not against Velveeta. It definitely has its uses, but it's it's pretty limited to those couple of uses, I think. Yeah. Uh, macaroni being the most obvious one. The shells, bomb. Yeah. Then can melt that down into queso. Yeah, that's what I was it's thinking. It's a really good one. And I guess you could make some pretty good grilled cheeses with it. Yeah, but I feel like that's going too far. I never personally done it. It just seems like it would be okay. Yeah, and that reminds me too much of the people who use craft singles for grilled cheese, and that's just blasphemy in my opinion. You're against that. I am against that. Okay, that's a hot take. That is a hot take. I prefer real cheese... Use like some Tillamook or whatever Lucerne or whatever the but, no, but, okay, but so, so not American cheese, but what kind of cheese like cheddar? Okay, I mean, that's the next closest thing. Cheddar is good, or maybe some Colby Jack, you know, like, yeah, yeah, where you got the mixture and you got a nice little flavor. I, yeah, I am, um, I prefer better cheese on a grilled cheese. Yeah. Um, but you got to have a good melter, of course. And that's those, true. Those are all good melters. But then once you get your good melter, you can throw some other stuff on there. Um, just usually whatever I've got. If I've got bread and if I'm feeling up to it, you know, always butter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll coat the outside in mayonnaise, but most of the time I just go with extra butter. Extra butter. I've never, I know people use mayonnaise. I've just never done it myself. It, there is a discernible difference. Mm-hmm. I don't. Like, there are people who swear by it. I don't see why it's necessary because, for me personally, raw mayonnaise is the way to go. Yeah. Raw, cold mayonnaise. <laughs> cold like my heart. Well, cold, cold <laughs> mayonnaise is supposed to be cold. And yeah. people think I'm a monster because I don't like having my subs toasted. Mm. And, like, okay, so obviously you could tell the person making your sub, like, toast just the bread and then, yeah. or bread and cheese. And then put the mayonnaise on after. But mm-hmm. I am a millennial. Okay. So I don't like making the person behind the counter do extra stuff in a different order than they may be <laughs> used to. So I'd rather them just not toast it at all. See, I'll be honest. I've never told them to put those things before I have them toast it. Well, they usually, at the establishments that I've uh, patronized, mm-hmm. the mayonnaise gets hot. Yeah. And I'm against that. That's fair. It's I'll still eat it if I have to, but if I can avoid it, I do. And the easiest way to avoid it is to just not toast the sandwich. And that makes sense because, like, if you put, if you make toast and you put butter on there, it's more likely going to melt too. Yeah. So yeah, I can get that that it's going to heat it up, and it's just it's got that weird nasty like hot mayonnaise thing. This is the problem with the McChicken. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is essentially a hot mayonnaise sandwich that it is using a cafeteria chicken patty as a condiment with some floor lettuce thrown on there too for good measure. Is it just me or has the McChicken just gotten worse? Like it's now like it's gotten smaller. I think mm-hmm. I know for sure the fillet of fish has gotten smaller, but that's a whole other controversial menu item. <laughs> hot takes on McDonald's today. <laughs> Where else are you gonna get this? Yeah, it's this is what the people are coming here to listen to. <laughs> Talking about comic books, that's that's a whole nother thing. I uh, forgot that's what we were even doing. You know what? We'll get to it. It feels like we've just been doing one long sound check. <laughs> <laughs> like a funny sound check that I've been enjoying. Yeah. But didn't I say something about fucking with Barry Lube earlier? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Kyle Adams was my first guest, and we talked about how he's a HPV train. So <laughs> I feel better now. <laughs> An HPV I, train, and then I we, don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> we did that, and then <laughs> does he know he said that? <laughs> he knows he said that. Yeah, and we just kept on riffing on that, and then we just kept on doing Bane voices for like a half hour. So. <laughs> I feel a lot better. Yeah. This, this is going this, great. This is going really good. Um, I think there's like extremes because like then I had Avery Scott and we did do a little bit of riffing, but mostly actually talked about the subject. So this is a good like even metal. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I brought up the uh, the eye earlier, I was trying to open the door to segue and you just slammed it back in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're talking about McChickens. <laughs> <laughs> yep that's this is just the kind of podcast i run <laughs> this is the chaos that descends <laughs> before our builders can get to work that's right yeah in our non-hierarchical anti-authoritarian society yeah see and what what people don't realize is this is actually very on topic yeah you and i are the destroyers yes <laughs> so once we've completely obliterated this pod two other people are going to come in and actually talk about the book yeah they are going to murder us though so it's been nice knowing I, you yeah i kind of saw that coming yeah <laughs> is it i mean i guess this whole show is a giant spoiler alert because yeah Presumably, people would see what this is about and hear what this is about and know that we are going to yeah. spoil everything. Yeah. Presumably. Yeah. We could just even spoil things that we're not talking about just, just for the fun of it. I, for the sake of humor, think that that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's your show. Yeah. We can talk about this is this is a great part about this is that we can talk about whatever the hell we want. I mean, there is definitely... A point of the podcast where right. we go into an in-depth conversation, but... Well, all I'll ask is do not spoil Stargate for me. Okay. Please don't do that. I can see the look in your eyes right now. You I, really want to? I'll be honest. No, the look in my eyes is that I appreciate you think I'm that much of a nerd. Oh. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, I'm looking at this bookshelf. Yeah. So, I, not I'm a make, single Stargate comic, make, though. Making assumptions. Well, I, uh, I'm i going to be watching the television series, which yeah. is on Netflix. And as soon as I can gain the strength to click play, <laughs> because I know that once I start watching it, I'm not going to stop. So this is a little advice. Watch on Amazon Prime because they have them all in HD. Netflix has the first few seasons in like okay. full frame. So, okay, yeah, yeah, we have Prime on the PlayStation. I, I yeah. think I can. It'll be a solid excuse to take over the living room. Yeah, because you know Amazon Prime. That's it's the most anti-authoritative. Uh. <laughs> well, that's if I remember correctly, Amazon's the one streaming service where you can get the original banned Dungeons and Dragons episode of Community. Yes. Because Community's on multiple streaming services and they all, in very performative, reactionary fashion, <laughs> censored that episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it is blackface, what Jang was doing. Yeah. But that was the joke. Yeah. <laughs> and they addressed it immediately. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... That was back when 
a lot of companies were doing performative shit. Yeah. To try to seem like they were with it, with the, <laughs> the uprising. And that was the most that they could bother to come up with. And yet, for some reason, Holiday Inn is still streaming on several services. Holiday Inn? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, wow. That's a... If you wanted to, like... As much as, like, yeah, there's problematic things. Like, 30 Rock did it a lot. Every time they did it, it was very self-aware and mm. essentially um, poking fun at the concept of it. Whereas, like, there's old movies where they just, like, Holiday Inn has Bing Crosby completely in blackface singing about Abraham Lincoln for some reason. Jeez. Yeah. I knew that that was an element. I didn't know that that was the detail. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm not in a rush to watch it, but yeah, that's a great point yeah. in terms of the hypocrisy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get rid of all the stuff that is like trying to point out what's bad and find a way to kind of like make a joke to at least make it not as like the one of the things I look about comedy at my is to find ways to take traumatic things and remove their power against people by making fun of them. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're looking for, for light in the darkness. Exactly. Um, so, you know, so that's totally how we're going to move forward as, as people and make things better is to keep all of the stuff that was completely unself-aware about it and then get rid of all the stuff that was trying to like give people, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, 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 the thing about trying to find light in that darkness is you do have to demonstrate that you understand that darkness yeah. is otherwise that, that it's going to be a false light. And I, th I mean, I, I will defend that episode of community. Yeah. <laughs> say like, I don't think anyone was, no one was saying anything no. about it. it. No, no one was saying that that was something that needed to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Or answered for, and yeah, which that was a weird, yeah, a weird time. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Because <laughs> that was, because that was 2020, right? When that happened. Yeah, 2020. It was when, during like, right, right the, after the, George Floyd. Yeah, it was during the protests, and that's how those companies decided to protest. <laughs> yeah, not let's you know donate our money to you know different like black owned businesses or to you know companies that are trying to help out or what have you you know i can't even think of the word right now like charities or what have you no let's uh mutual aid mutual aid there you go no let's just uh, uh remove entertainment yeah <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it that'll tell them <laughs> We figured it out, guys. <laughs> we've <laughs> we've solved racism. Well, I one of the reasons that I was looking forward to reading this book was because I like a lot of people. I saw the movie first. Yeah, and I knew that the fans of the graphic novel and the creators of the graphic novel were upset with the departure. Mm -hmm. that the film took from the source material and the way that it departed. Like a film is always going to take liberties over its source material. But the first time I saw the film, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And the second time I watched it, I was just like, what the fuck? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it, we're not going to go in any particular order, but the big controversial thing that V does mm -hmm. In the film is, well, he also does it in the novel, mm -hmm. which is 
kidnaps Evie. Yeah. And tortures, traumatizes, and manipulates her. Yeah. And I don't know what about it made it seem more, not just, but okay Mm -hmm. in the graphic novel. And the way that I've rationalized it, (laughs) because otherwise I find the material to be not very problematic. Yeah. Is he does, and we were joking about this earlier, indicate that he is a destroyer. Mm -hmm. And there, I remember the exact quote, unlovely, and they need to be gotten rid of in order for the builders to create. So, I mean, if you were to literally do that to someone, you're giving them a false sense of choice and freedom because Evie was released when she chose her principles over her life. Yeah. And then she was out. But the context and the situation of that kind of that imprisonment Mm -hmm. makes that to me a manipulative false choice. But in terms of the symbology of it, of... I didn't imprison you. I showed you the bars. Mm -hmm. That makes sense as an ideal, or not ideal, but an idea. And the whole point of V is that he is not necessarily a person, but an idea, and he can be anyone. So that's how I came to accept that he (laughs) tortured that girl. Yeah. (laughs) Who... Still loved him afterwards, and if we know anything about abusive situations, <laughs> a lot of victims will say similar things. Yeah. Yeah, I can also understand the idea that he had come to these ideals through the methods that he put her through. Right. If He was replicating his circumstances yeah. in order for her to understand. And in a weird way... Finch, was it? Yeah. Tried to visit the camp Mm -hmm. and in dropping acid, I guess he was sort of in a really roundabout way trying to understand what had gone on there from the perspective. He was trying to get inside V's head. Like, that's literally what he was trying to do. But, I mean, if you (laughs) think about, like, like if we were to go to a concentration camp and drop acid, like, first of all, that would be very disrespectful. Second of all, I mean, I'd probably come away from the experience scarred. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would be fun to do that. And he did not have fun. But I don't know if I'd... I don't know if I would understand anything more about, like, because I obviously already strongly dislike fascism. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe if someone who used to be a Nazi went to a concentration camp and took acid. Yeah. They'd come out of it with a little more humanity and understanding of what persecuted people have gone through. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that this is a solution to anything, by the way. <laughs> no, he's saying right now, if there's any Nazis alive, go to Auschwitz, drop acid, and see what happens. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess the the only way that it, that analogy would work is it would have to be the original Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, if, if there are any original Nazis still alive, let us know. Where are you at? What's your address? <laughs> we we just want to hang out. That's just want to talk. Just want to talk. That's what we do. We talk. Yeah. Um, also, what is your alarm code? <laughs> no reason. 
So yeah, he was trying to make Evie understand what he'd been through and how that affected him so that she could make confidently, knowingly, she could understand the darkness Yeah. so that she could shine light on the world and not Mm -hmm. a false light. And it is a good rationalization for that. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, yeah, he's trying to help her understand. He's showing her the bars. And even up until his very end, she keeps asking, just explain it to me. Yeah. <laughs> just fucking tell me, you asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Why does everything have to be a big theatrical production? Why are you such a freaking flamboyant? <laughs> like, just <laughs> fucking tell me. <laughs> Just give me a straightforward answer. And he just never would. And yet after he did die, she took over the mantle. She became V. And she removed the mask not to remember the face, but to know the face. Yeah. And she removed the mask and saw herself. Yeah. It's interesting because they do this thing where they do a bunch of panels where she's contemplating how to do it, where it looks like she's. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's you have your own set of expectations that is projected onto it as a reader, mm-hmm. and the author considers those. Yeah, the most obvious one being her father. Yeah, and uh, who who were the other? There were two other faces. I am trying to remember because I, I recognized the face, but I couldn't actually remember who was it. Was it Gordon? Was one of them? I think so. It, so I will say one of the things that I found difficult about this graphic novel mm-hmm. is that a lot of the men looked the same. Yeah. To me. Yeah. And I don't know if that was entirely on purpose or not. I'd like to think it was. Yeah. Because there's so... Obviously, there were so many more men, mm-hmm. male characters than women. Um, the women were very distinguishable. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the men, especially the older ones who were working for the government, <laughs> yeah. they all kind of looked similar. But yeah, I I think the one time that I distinctly remember V giving Evie a straightforward deadpan answer was when she asked him if he wrote the notes from Valerie. Yeah. And he's just like, no, she was in the room next to me. She wrote them to me. Yeah. And that was part of his experience. That's where he... Yep. So he just kept them and passed them on. Because before I could come to terms with how dedicated to the concept of V's identity not being material, I really thought that V was probably going to be Valerie. Mm. I couldn't see it being Evie's father. I I couldn't... If it was going to be was going to be anyone else i couldn't I, I couldn't really see that or I, I could see it being valerie more so than anyone else but when i obviously when i finished the book i was just accepting like yeah yeah v is v mm-hmm. and the fact that it's an idea over a person is what matters yeah i like the different aspects throughout the book about sort of the psychology behind like there's a there's an interesting set where he's literally standing in front of Lady Liberty. Yeah. And talking about how he used to, you know, she used to be something that he admired and was almost in love with. And there's a quote in there that's actually like very interesting because it's very relevant to today. And it was the, that until everyone has justice, no one has justice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And with, Order and justice being monopolized by an authority, 
it's not true justice Mm -hmm. and the order is not sustainable. They made a big deal, the government did, Mm -hmm. about how mentally unwell V had to have been. Yeah. And they had an empathy for his victims without extending that humanity towards the people. Yeah. They saw their colleagues... And you know, they're all the types to turn around and stab each other in the back, which like literally happened a couple times. (laughs) Yeah. When their colleagues were killed by V, they were outraged and grieving. Yeah. But they did not extend that humanity towards the people who V was fighting for. So they couldn't grasp the imbalance there in terms of power and justice. They really wanted to paint him as like a sick person without any kind of aim other than terror yeah and that's another thing that you see right now right now is uh it's just these violent white anarchists (laughs) who just want to break stuff never mind the the violent white supremacists who really do want to go around hurting people never mind the police who are always hurting people who Mm -hmm. the protesters are reacting to so yeah these parallels are definitely there in the novel Um, between what was happening in, you know, Thatcher and Reagan times. Yeah. And, uh, what's, what's been going on today? Yeah. That's what I I thought was interesting because he does show, there's a point where he's talking about previous, um, fascists and it shows like, I think it shows Stalin and shows Adolf Hitler and you see, it's not a full picture, but you can see Nixon. Yeah. 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 Mussolini was in that panel as well. Yeah. And then... Was it Mrs. Hare said that she wanted to be Ava Perone? Mm. And yeah, they they made those references pretty yeah. directly and explicitly to authoritarians. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, I think it was the leader who went into the history of the word fascism and mm-hmm. its symbology. And I thought it was interesting how in the novel they explicitly state that they're fascists. And V explicitly mentions anarchism. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that from the film. I could be wrong. No. So the there's literally one time in the film that the word anarchy is used, and it's from a punk song. It's anarchy in the UK. Oh, okay. Someone yells out that while they're robbing a store. Okay, fun. Yeah. So the thing I really actually liked about the book is there's a lot more subtlety because in the movie, they show it as if the movement's already happening and they show not only that, but when like the leader, the way he dies in the movie is they literally like turn on him and release him to V kind of showing that the government's already like given into his ideals. Whereas in the movie, there's a little bit more kind of showing that the people are already starting to turn. Wait, the graphic novel or the movie? In the comics, sorry. In the graphic novel, sorry. I said movie twice. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, wait, which one was which? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So in the graphic novel, though, it's a civilian that kills him. Like, she shoots his head off. Yeah, she is an aggrieved widow. Yeah. Who they let through because her ex, well, her late husband was a cop. Mm-hmm. And so they recognized her and the whole time she had been basically, you know, sleeping with that gun under her pillow mm-hmm. and her fate was this life devoid of 
any joy mm-hmm. or dignity. And dignity is another thing that they made a big deal about Yes, in the graphic novel. So she, in a symbolic way, took her dignity back mm-hmm. by assassinating the leader. And she was prepared to lose her life Yeah, in choosing that dignity. Yeah, which is, in, in my opinion, is a better way to show this than... The thing is, Hollywood always wants to just show the happy ending. Yeah. And with this, there isn't really a happy ending. There's, nope. there's, there's, literally ends with, uh, was it Gordon's wife that was having the affair? Um, this is the problem. As you said, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of dudes. Look, a lot of dudes that look kind of similar. It was, it was Almond? It might have been Almond's wife. Yeah. yeah. It was one of them. She was, there was a whole thing where she basically was making him a cuckold and was, had like no respect for him and all this stuff. Yeah. Hair. Hair. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end, she is essentially no longer has the power she had. She's out on the street. With the uh, lips. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's Finch who approaches Finch her. Finch approaches her and she asks for help and basically he just pushes her away. Um, she calls him a queer. She does call him a queer. <laughs> and he just walks into the darkness. That's how it yeah. ends. Yeah. He's on a freeway, an empty freeway, and yeah. walks off into the night because... He knows that she's full of shit. Yep. Doesn't trust her. And she's just going to try to manipulate her way back into power. Yeah. And it's interesting because, yeah, there's there's sort of three primary journeys going through on the story. It's V, Evie, and uh, Finch. Because, yeah. like, it's showing all three of them. Now, it's what you were saying about the one woman with the gunner, like... There's this is one of those books I might have to read a couple times because there's so with Alan Moore especially he's not afraid to just give you like what seems like fifteen panels on the same page. Yep. <laughs> he's a literary writer who chooses comic book as his art form basically. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. I haven't read very much from him that I haven't actually really enjoyed. Um, and he himself is an anarchist, which makes it more interesting because he has a more This was literally his commentary on, you know, Thatcherism and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I was reading up a little bit about him and he's a very interesting guy. Yeah. And he, I mean, obviously was frustrated by how the story was defanged by the film and how V was made into a leader almost of this revolution, whereas anarchy would purport to be leaderless and so that's why it was essential that it be understood that V was just an idea yeah. rather than an identity. Mm-hmm. Not to go off on a tangent, I <laughs> I do think it's funny how in the last decade or so, the Guy Fox mask has like all the different things it's come to symbolize. Yeah. Only a few of them still being any kind of semblance of anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I really thought it was interesting how in the graphic novel, the actual story of Guy Fox really wasn't relevant in terms of anything beyond its cultural significance mm-hmm. to England and the symbology of it. There's really no reverence for Guy Fox or his ideals from V. No. There's just reference to it as being an integral part of the culture yeah. that he's using and wants to return culture mm-hmm. to the people because it's been stripped away. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it got rid of anyone who wasn't like a straight and white. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that was one of the interesting things for Finch's when he is he is sort of like he has this regret when he's taking the acid. Like he starts seeing like everyone from gay people to black people to like whatever, and he's literally saying like how he misses. Them. I miss you so much. Your voices, you say, yeah. your your songs. Your um, I forget what else he said, but yeah, that yeah. that panel was. That was powerful. Super powerful. Because, I mean, if you hadn't already realized it, like, <laughs> all of those people were absent from the novel. Yeah. And it hits him real hard, what has been missing this whole time. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and then when he goes back and kills V mm-hmm. and is trying to talk to his colleagues about it, they're just convinced that he's just drugged up. Yeah. They can't possibly understand how he's changed. And so he leaves. Mm-hmm. He gets the fuck out of there. Yeah, it's it's a heavy book. Yeah, not just like by girthiness of the actual book. It's just a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine's paperback. It's pretty late. Yeah, yeah. Fill this though. Fill I oh yeah. yeah. That's 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 got some heft. It's got some heft. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really enjoyed Finch's arc. I did, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Because I don't recall. I mean, it's been years since I've seen the film. I, I just don't remember any of that being there. The film is very good at giving the look of a lot of things. Yeah, it took well, the aesthetics. Took the aesthetics. The film was also a commentary on Bush at the time. So yeah. It did modify things for that. Yeah. But there is definitely, yeah, they, they have... There's too many Hollywood elements to it is the problem. Because they once again, they try to do the thing where he's more like a leader... They say things like the idea, and they kind of show that at the end in the movie where everyone has the masks on. It's not just V. And it's the kind of sense of, I'm V, I'm V, you know. But there's just... there's just I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. Exactly. It's basically it's just Spartacus. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's that thing of, like, they just... They tried going for too much style, and they also tried to give it too much of a, like definitive end because apparently people haven't learned enough from the Coen brothers. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they well, st- style wise, um, Casey, my roommate pointed out that it was interesting how the colors and the graphic novel were very pastel. Yes. And in the film, you get these, like it's black, red, yeah. white. Yeah. And it's funny because reading the graphic novel there isn't a ton of color and that's kind no. of the whole point. Um, and so I, in a way, both mediums kind of try to do the same thing, mm-hmm. but <laughs> one is definitely more visually exciting and yeah. marketable than the other. So the pastels not as exciting. It is funny too, that the movie would be more red and black considering yeah. like those are the colors of anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, they don't really, really delve into anarchy no. in the film. Um, but yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't know much about more yeah. uh, before reading the, the book, but I was pleasantly surprised at its interpretation and how it displayed anarchism without yeah. being... I mean, V is pretty preachy, but <laughs> yeah. he's got a panache to it without just beating people over the head Mm -hmm. with because and i say this with nothing but love Mm -hmm. a lot of anarchists and 
we'll say good zines don't necessarily do this, but most zines do this. Mm. Anarchists on social media and a lot of zines are very, again, I don't, I'm, I'm reluctant to say preachy. Yeah. It just, it's very beat you over the head. Yeah. <laughs> with, with information. Yeah. There's not a lot of personality behind it, and it can be difficult for the average but curious person to consume. Yeah. Uh, which is why good scenes will break up the monotony. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they focus on specific topics and whatnot. So it's something that you're not going to look at unless you're already interested in learning more about that subject. But I just really appreciated <laughs> something that was a. Uh, a non-beat-you-over-the-head form of anarchist art. Yeah, it's sort of like a... It's like a gateway drug into anarchy. I've I've heard people say that, that it was, li- it was a life-changing thing for them. Well, it was interesting because for me, I've already... I've considered myself more an anarchist than a lot of other political sides. And within this, it was the concept of resonating with, okay, yeah, no, these are very... This, in a lot of ways, shows... Where I stand better than I could probably describe in any other way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I shy away from labels, but I tend to agree with anarchists more so than anything else. And if mm. held a gun to my head and said, no, you need to define your politics, I would say anarchy. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am... Um, See, for me reading this, I was already on board. Yeah. So I was coming at it from the perspective of like, all right, how anarchist is it actually going to be? Yeah. Because I know that it's going to claim it, but we'll actually see if the ideals are expressed in the way that I've come to understand and believe them myself. And I thought it did an excellent job with what it was working with. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a very approachable story for a lot of people. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's esoteric or niche, which is the other thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a graphic novel, so that's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Within itself, a little yeah. bit. Well, and especially the way that we see comics mm-hmm. in popular media now, anarchy is not painted as a good thing. No. <laughs> no. Uh, in fact, the U.S. military is painted as a great thing. Yeah. And anarchists are usually the bad guys mm-hmm. in American comic book movies and, and TV shows. I mean, I I don't even remember what show it is, but they have Flag Smashers. Yeah. I will say, yeah, I did watch all of that, the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's what that is. Okay. They do one thing, but it, it seems like a little too late. They do, towards the end, kind of show that they're not the villains and essentially these leaders that are all together are just kind of fucking over people. Yeah. But it's like, you could have probably tried to do that a little earlier. <laughs> yeah. Like it definitely, like, I don't know too, I'm not going to watch it ever, but yeah. the way that it, it, the, the things that I saw from it is it just seemed like another, uh, heavy handed, yeah. ham fisted attempt at, commenting on what's going on right now in a negative way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I said, I did appreciate it, but this is coming from someone who did watch it all, but still that's yeah. <laughs> I'm also, it's hard for me cause I'm like, I'm a huge comic book, like Marvel and DC guy. So yeah. like, I I'll sometimes let things go over the, maybe in other mediums that would be like, eh. yeah, I, well, I, oh yeah. I mean, you, you have to, if you're at all 
anywhere on the left. <laughs> like there are things yeah. that you're just going to have to look past to enjoy what else is there that's good. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was watching the hell is it called? The only the first season was good. Um, the designated survivor. Oh, OK. Uh, with Kiefer Sutherland. Have not seen it, but I've heard of it. Um, I mean, like I, I like ideologically, I don't like any of those people <laughs> yeah. who are the protagonists <laughs> and <laughs> and some become the antagonists. It's a good, complex show in the mm. first season. Uh, second season. <laughs> I stopped watching, but it's like, yeah, I have to go along with the military and the FBI or whatever, like being the good guys in that show. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It's, (laughs) it's TV. Yeah. Like, um, but it's also funny that specifically seeing Kiefer Sutherland playing more of a, uh, we'll say liberal character. Yeah. And it's, he's sort of the same character as Jack Bauer, (laughs) but more of a liberal nerd. Mm-hmm. And so it's really funny to see him in such a similar show playing a similar character, but not as propaganda for the war on terror. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's I mean, that's all 24 was. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, just having a lot of fun action sequences, basically. Yeah. That's that's a lot of that stuff. And never, never trusting Muslims. <laughs> that's because I, I, uh, I watched that show 24 yeah. like religiously. Mm hmm. That was something I looked forward to every week when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and I sort of came into my own more with my beliefs, I realized like, oh, that was, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> that was unhealthy. Yeah, <laughs> That's one though that I kind of do want to go back and watch and just see if I can look past like what I know now. Yeah. And if there's still a good show there. Yeah, it's hard because entertainment is... Once you have a little more ideals and stuff like that, it's, it can be harder to consume a lot of entertainment. I feel like I turn my brain off enough as it is. Mm-hmm. That's why I have such a hard time consuming TV and movies because I already do. That's what everyone says. It's like, oh, just turn your brain off. Just relax. Just <laughs> just be entertained. And it's like, well, no, I already do that a lot. I'm yeah. Like I, for my own mental health, I already do that with, yeah. like, I guess I've filled that void with, with YouTube. <laughs> and select podcasts. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm not thinking too idealistically when I'm like in the kitchen. I cook a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not thinking too deep when I'm at work. Unless we're all talking about something like so I, t- I turn my brain off all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess if other people choose more TV and movies for their brain turn off time that's fine yeah I'm, I'm not putting anyone down it's just that's my response to someone telling me oh just turn your brain off is i already do that enough and so i really enjoy like this particular book yeah v for vendetta because i could i was entertained by it yeah and i didn't have to turn my brain off which is great yeah it's, it's great to be able to find those things i love i like reading and viewing mm-hmm. critically yeah but so i have to be more selective with what I choose to to watch. Yeah. And well, if you also think about it is when it comes down to it, it's whatever it is in the cultural zeitgeist within the iconography of entertainment and everything else. There is a bit of a propagandic 
spin to a lot of these things. So something that's interesting for me, and I, I idealistically don't agree with a lot of this anymore, but I grew up Christian, and I think you were Catholic or... I was uh, Lutheran. Lutheran, okay. Yeah. My, half my family was Catholic, so I had to go okay. to that very uh, elaborate mass sometimes. <laughs> Which is it's interesting because Lutheran was um, Martin Luther who was trying to go away from the Catholicism belief system, but they're the, probably the closest to Catholicism within like the uh, yeah with, with, within the whole sphere the sphere of, of, like, of Christian denominations. Yeah. Yeah. The closest form of Protestantism was Lutheranism. Yeah. And so going to both Catholic and Greek Orthodox masses, the biggest difference for me was that the churches were more ornate. Yeah. And the services were longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I had my faith uh, bored out of me. Like, mm. there was nothing exciting yeah. about Lutheranism. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's different elsewhere in the country, mm -hmm. with different demographics of people, but I always just thought it was soul crushingly boring. So yeah. I had a lot of time in church to sit there and, th and actually think. <laughs> about what I was being told and then and, and in a very you know shallow childish way questioning like well what if how can we be right like yeah yeah exactly <laughs> how can this be it and there's so many other people out there and I remember getting um what was my communion or it might have been getting communion it's when you took 13 I think and you are officially you're old enough to decide whether or not you're actually a Lutheran. That's a very Catholic thing. This is funny. Well, the, uh, the Catholics do it when you're a baby. Yeah. Is it called a confirmation? Yeah, confirmation. Confirmation. Yeah, yeah. confirmation for Lutherans, and mm -hmm. it's a christening for Catholics. Okay. Um, although, I remember my Catholic friends doing something at that age, too. Maybe yeah. it's all just confirmation. Um, but they were basically saying, like, like, this is where you are given the choice as to whether or not you want to continue being a Lutheran and you are allowed to say no. And in my head, I'm like, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not allowed to say no. I have to say yes. So that's like, that is a definitive false choice Yeah, for talking about being stuck in a system <laughs> that's kind of manipulative. Yeah. That is a false choice. I grew up Pentecostal. And then I went to a non-denominational. So there wasn't a lot of boredom there because it was all just ridiculous. And then like with Pentecostal, it was the getting filled with the Holy Spirit, yelling out uh, like whatever gibberish they thought was whatever. And then. So so was that uh, speaking in tongues? Yeah, Is that what that was? Yeah, okay. speaking in tongues. Did you, was... did you do the thing where you'd like writhe around on the floor? I never completed that, but there were, I saw a lot of people. People did that. People though. did that. Yes. And then when I went to non-denominational, <laughs> when I went to non-denominational, they were just like, we got a good band. <laughs> we got the cool version of Christian music. <laughs> we got a drummer who actually uses the drum instead of just goes. Ch -ch 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 we have a band of humans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we everyone up there looks like they're from a mid two thousands rock band. <laughs> I it's funny because I never obviously I never went to a church like that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I would go. I had a buddy who I would um, hang out with his youth group mm -hmm. occasionally, and we would go. We'd go paintballing. Um, we'd play laser tag. 
Uh, we played this one game. I forget what it was called, but it was at someone whose house was in a wooded area and they just had a sprawling amount of property. Yeah. And it wasn't it was like an elaborate version of tag or something. Hmm. I, I don't remember what it was. called. I just had a blast with those people. <laughs> um, and like before and after we yeah. pray. But otherwise, it was just kids being kids. Yeah. And I always thought that was neat. But, I mean, that wasn't... I can't remember if they were Lutheran or not, and they just went to a different church, or if it was some sort of Reformed church. Like, yeah. there was no expectation of me joining their yeah. version of Christianity. They were just, like... <laughs> it was just uh, as hands-off as you could possibly be in a religious setting. Yeah, I would say out of all the experiences they had from church, I think the most positive was things like youth group yeah, and just different things like that. Because I lived in a very small town and I had a couple friends, but not very many. Uh huh. And so I was able to like via a couple of my sisters would drive me out from Vernonia, Oregon, which is like 2000 people to like, Sherwood, which is still small, but, <laughs> but I've heard of it. Yeah, it's a place. <laughs> um, so, so we would go out either there or Hillsborough or whatever, and we would go to these places that had bigger churches, and you got to do things like go to like uh, what is it, Bullwinkles on Wilsonville, or like go laser tag, or like camping but just have fun like i remember watching nacho libre at a church (laughs) (laughs) and it was just like they would just find the movies that were like benign enough that you could still have fun with that like were christiany enough you're not getting in trouble with the parents hopefully right yeah they're not going to be offensive yeah but they're also not boring and corny and yeah (laughs) yeah it's not as bad as the time that my dad just got the movie Passion of the Christ and we just watched it as a church on a very small screen in a small sanctuary or whatever they're called like sanctuary I think or whatever yeah yeah like it was depressing um so what was fun that was the other thing in the town I lived in the church I went to when I was young had a decent amount of people but by the time that I was like 12 13 years old it was like my parents me, whatever sibling was still at home, the pastor, his wife, whatever kids they had, and then like seven old people. <laughs> and that was the church. <laughs> and they always tried to do the thing where they're like, well, invite your friends over. And I was at the point where I'm like, yeah, but it's boring here. I know what good youth group is like. This is not good youth group. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like once you've had good, uh, good alcohol, you can't go back to HRD. I... <laughs> I'm even, I'm hard pressed to, like, presumably my church had a youth group. Yeah. I I mean, I went to Sunday school, but I just, I don't remember ever doing, I mean, if we did have youth group, surely my parents would have forced me to do it. Yeah. Because I disliked strongly going to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And then the absolute worst thing was having to go to Sunday school and then go to church. (laughs) (laughs) my parents would do that to me and my dad would always say like you know jesus died on the cross the least you could do is give up a few hours of your weekend and i'd just be like i get what you're i get the logic 
Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I hated it. I, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't. It was it was just so boring. And I, I like I met some, some cool yeah. kids. Like there were some nice people. I, just, I don't it was I really just didn't have any like two overly negative experiences, which is so much milder than what I can say <laughs> about a lot of people I know. Yeah. yeah. Um I do still think that the whole because we weren't fire and brimstone, but no. the existence of heaven and hell was definitely enforced. Yes. And yes. I still do think that that's kind of an abusive thing to do to children. It is because you, I lived a lot of my life in fear yeah. because of that stuff. And it's such a, when you go back and think about it, it's just, it's so silly, I guess, like that that's the thing that like, that I'm afraid of something that I don't see in a possible prophecy of the future that I don't even know if it's going to happen. It's a very specific <laughs> flavor of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, that's, it goes back to that false choice. Yeah. Being presented to you. It's, yeah. those are a kind of, that's a, that kind of religion, that brand mm-hmm of of uh, faith is itself a kind of prison it is well because like i was just thinking um there's such a manipulative almost like gaslighting uh culture within it because it's the idea of like god loves you jesus loves you he doesn't judge you but if you really care about him aren't you gonna live a certain way yeah it's like so so in other words yeah it's an abusive relationship yeah <laughs> it's manipulative it's hyper manipulative the question was posed recently i forget where i think it was probably on someone probably asked this on twitter which is why do so many anarchists seem to have an adverse relationship with religion mm-hmm. uh, to the point of not wanting religion to be involved in anarchist spaces and i think a lot of people especially our age mm-hmm. and older, um, the negative abusive experiences they have or have had with religion inform their view of it. Yes. And the kind of hierarchy that exists in those churches mm-hmm. and, and those denominations probably seems antithetical yeah. to a lateral non-hierarchical uh political ideology well i mean in itself like religion is very authoritism like it's all about authority I've, i developed an anti-authority outlook because of religion yeah 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 i think you're definitely not alone yeah um so i always say to when i listen to podcasts though and someone starts to make a point and doesn't go back to it so the one thing i was saying though when we were talking started with the religion was the concept that within religion they talk about like sort of like garbage in garbage out i guess it's, you know like where you got to be careful what you take in because it can go out now i'm not to the level of like where people are like oh you play video games and you kill someone or whatever but i do think that when you're watching stuff and especially you were talking about like turning your brain off, there's still part of your brain that's taking that in. And if you see a lot of stuff that has the same ideals, there's going to be a part of you that's going to wrestle with that more, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, cause you turn your brain off is obviously you can't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> cause then you're not going to see any of the movie. You're not going to get anything out of the experience at all. So a part of you still has to be engaged with it. Um, so yeah, that's that garbage in garbage out mm-hmm. concept that when you brought that up initially, I wasn't entirely sure what you were talking about, but 
but now I get it. Yeah, because at first it sounds preachy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really judgmental. Yeah, it sounds super. And that's the thing is like, yeah, you can look at it that way. But I think even within the concept of judgmental or problematic, I think with every bit of information, there is something to take out of it, which is also why things that have occur like people cherry-picking ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so when I, to go back on my train of thought, with this whole religion thing mm-hmm. and um, not necessarily its application within anarchism, but uh, how it was portrayed in V for Vendetta. Um, we have a religious character yeah, and there is a religion that is the state religion, but you know, they quote the Bible mm-hmm. and the scene where the Bishop is a pedophile, obviously. Yeah. And is going to try to have sex with Evie is an obvious contradiction of what we would assume the beliefs are that he espouses. Yeah. Um, he reads Bible verses like as an almost kind of justification <laughs> for what he's doing. And other than that, we really don't explore religion too much. No. In the book. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how. Um, V's usage of Guy Fox mm-hmm. is more of a cultural statement mm-hmm. than any kind of religious or ideological statement. Which is it's interesting because that's another thing the movie gets wrong is it literally starts off talking about Guy Fox and showing and maybe they're just trying to show the people that don't understand who Guy Fox was, I guess. I could see that. But it also, I remember when I originally watched it, wondering, when is this going to tie into Guy Fox? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was sort of a an own, if you will. Yeah. From people criticizing, like, anonymous and anti-Scientology yeah. protesters. Because those were the people who adopted yeah. most strongly the aesthetic of wearing the Guy Fox mask. Mm-hmm. Um, was, oh, so you're... <laughs> Your face is literally a Catholic terrorist. <laughs> it's just like, no, it's not really about that. But unless you've read the novel, you, there's really no explanation for it. Yeah. And I mean, there's obviously, again, the symbology of V, mm-hmm. the 5th of November. Uh, he was in room five. So. And he really enjoys five guys, burgers and fries. <laughs> I mean, he he does have his indulgences uh, with with his panache Mm -hmm. and uh, his theatrical nature. I could see him getting down on some some Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Not a sponsor. We're we're not sponsored by them, but if they want to pay us, I won't turn it down. I do enjoy Five Guys. I I do. I think you live closer to one than I do. I do. We could get that for lunch today. We could do that. There we go. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. Give us money. Almost every episode, there's somewhere where I say something or say, I like, there's a little product placement unintentionally, yeah. which completely goes against anarchy, by the way. Right, of course. But, you know, we live in a capitalist society. We, we got to work with yeah. what we've got. No ethical consumption. That's except right. for Five Guys. I got five Guys, Burgers and Fries. Yeah. And uh, Sonics, just for their drinks. Though. They do have good drinks. They do. 
I do. There, I really, I haven't had one. I haven't had a cherry limeade from Sonics in a while, and that's see. Now I'm just hungry. Like <laughs> I could tell. Yeah, we can. I mean, I could talk about food all day long. <laughs> like I like comic. A few, you know, I love comic books. I love food. Okay, so so yeah, so was the food aspect of V for Vendetta was mm-hmm. okay. So the elites have access to it. Yes, uh, but there was a scene. After things were becoming chaotic, mm-hmm. where this man was eating bangers. Yeah. And he basically was reasoning like, these are delicious. I'm so glad that I got this great deal. And who cares if it was illegal? Because <laughs> if I hadn't gotten them, some other guy would have. Yeah. And so that's that, like, the bangers, <laughs> the, the sausages were sort of the gateway for this, this you could assume, this... uh this anonymous character, yeah, just civilian character in this now changing world mm-hmm. where the chaos is leading people into anarchy. And so for me, mm. bangers and mash, the anarchy meal. Mm. Bangers and mash, the official non-sponsor of anarchy. <laughs> I mean, if, I'm sure there's some sort of like banger board in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, except for it's for porn. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's, or it's actually or house music. House music. Yeah. Yeah. Bangers. Bangers. Or uh, people who like who get into uh, mosh pits. There we go. Yeah. The headbangers. The headbangers. Yeah. <laughs> this also. Work. Sorry. Um. I, this just made me think of Mosh, March of the Skinheads, about how, like, in America, that word only means white supremacist, mm. which is a bonehead mm. in the rest of the world. And we do not have time to get into skinhead culture yeah. <laughs> and what it actually is. Yeah, I know. But so we're talking about, you know, anarchy in the UK. Mm-hmm. That's that's a whole other episode. It's Yeah, it is fascinating, though. I mean, not without going too much into it, how it's, it's other places. It's literally the exact. Opposite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's it, the, the boneheads tried to, mm-hmm. and in, I guess you could argue in the United States, they've successfully done. So mm-hmm. co-opt the skinhead aesthetic. Yeah. And that's what fascists do mm-hmm. is they absorb culture and they morph it into something that is barely recognizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, 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 from what it used to be, but it's recognizable enough that it allows those beliefs, those Nazi beliefs, mm-hmm. to be mainstream, and that explains the last uh, two seasons of Arrested Development. <laughs> the last two fascist <laughs> seasons. <laughs> Of it's, Arrested Development. It's well, close enough, and it kind of resembles I, that. I was going to say that that's <laughs> one of the reasons why the film, now that I'm thinking about it, the film adaptation of this book is so offensive. Yeah. Because <laughs> it takes the aesthetic, mm-hmm. but you're divorcing that aesthetic from its meaning. Yeah. And if the meaning... Is as as important as liberation, yeah, of all people. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, well, it's interesting um, because Alan Moore told them not to put his name on on the movie. 
Yeah. And he did the same thing with Watchmen because they it's also another for uh, story where they completely <laughs> take away the the actual meaning of it. Um, the Watchmen was literally like a commentary and almost parody of uh, superhero comics, and then they turned it into a big budget superhero comic movie. Yeah, it was very confusing because I. When that came out, I was not familiar with the source material. Yeah. I think I saw that like my freshman year of college when it was mm-hmm. in theaters. And I just did not know what was happening the entire time. <laughs> I, I will say I was um, checked out. The HBO series Watchmen that was ran for one season. A lot. It's a sequel, but it's a lot better adaptation. I saw the first episode because mm-hmm. it was released for free and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then. I had a lot of other things going on at that time <laughs> that were a lot more direct. Yeah. In terms of fighting the state and racism mm-hmm. and uh, trying to uh, live some anarchy. So I did not take the time to find a way to watch yeah. the rest of the season. But now I'm at a point where I could probably, I should probably do that. So uh, not to completely. Uh, takeaway there uh we are getting to this is definitely already the longest podcast i've done it's been, it's fun that's, that's so, good to know yeah it'll be it's a it'll be a really <laughs> good episode um but i'm gonna get into some questions that i normally do okay um, so first thing is uh what was your first exposure to like comic book medium whether it was a comic book itself or movie or what have you i really liked spider-man the television show Mm -hmm. when I was a kid and there was this comic book store in my hometown called Golden Eagle Comics. Okay. And they are in, by a missing Pennsylvania or Spring Township? Technically, I don't, it's both, but (laughs) if you're in the area, go, go check out Golden Eagle. Okay. And if it still exists, I don't even know. And, uh, I saw, I don't, I don't know why we went in there. My Mm -hmm. dad's like, Now's the time for me to take you into a comic book shop. <laughs> See if that's what you're into. And uh, I picked up some Spider-Man comics. Nice. And I had no... I just grabbed whatever, like, looked coolest. Yeah. I had no <laughs> understanding <laughs> of uh, chronology. And uh, I I liked him. Um, but I never really got into the medium. It yeah. was just something that was always that I, I appreciated. Yeah. But it was never really my thing. There was a spell... When I was in junior high, where I was really into manga, mm. um, for me that was more of like a, it, it it was interesting because it was foreign and because there seemed to be a diversity to the kinds of stories, yeah, that were told, and you could very frequently see titties, <laughs> because it's it's a lot easier to get that stuff around your parents, yeah, because it looks so innocent. Mm-hmm. on the surface so if you knew what you were looking for yeah like i mean it's, I, I i know that in american comics like there's a lot of risque and yeah. sexual and also vi- obviously violence mm-hmm. but you know that going in looking at the cover yeah <laughs> but with a lot of manga yeah <laughs> <laughs> it'll sometimes you won't even expect it yeah and it's like whoa okay <laughs> that that dude's nose is bleeding yep all right Yeah, which is if (laughs) they're a lot more casual about it. Yeah, which uh, for people who might not know, uh, bleeding nose in Japanese culture is horny. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I hope, I mean, I do hope someone learned something from that. Yeah. But I'm hard pressed to imagine that the type of person who would listen to this would not already know that. <laughs> That's fair. That is, that is, fair. I, I just like to kind of, you know, you never know. It's a good point for clarification. Yeah. It's a good, good clarification. Cause if you point. didn't know that you'd be like, what the fuck was he referencing? Yeah. Why? What, what, does, that what does that matter at all? Yeah. <laughs> It's, it is such a weird... I get it because it's like an erection is blood flowing to a certain area. So like the bleeding nose, I guess, is to establish that blood is going somewhere. I don't know. It doesn't Blood's make sense. being forced out. Yeah, exactly. Like that's... It's still weird, but... <laughs> it's like the cutest way of saying, I want to fuck. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> I'm just disappointed that I don't get laid every time my nose bleeds. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I, I wonder if you... if if Because if, I'm so ignorant. I wonder if in Japan, if you get a nosebleed, you have to be like, it's not like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, dry. It's, I have allergies. <laughs> I love cocaine. <laughs> that's actually... Cocaine is illegal in Japan, and that's probably why. Well... <laughs> I wow. Like it's it's those, not just illegal, but it's like a there is a guy who voice act a character in a video game where they they essentially told him he could no longer voice that character because he did cocaine. So it, it, yeah, it's not just illegal. It's it's, not just, it's, it's like, socially unacceptable. Exactly. Yeah, I should have specified that. Yeah. It's illegal here technically. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. Well, actually, it's decriminalized where we are. Yes. It's still illegal, but Yeah. <laughs> The more you know. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah, they're, they're a lot more um, in terms of uh, enforcing, yeah. you know, social norms and mores and whatnot. Yes. They're, they're, our impression of them is that they're a lot stricter. Yes. And I don't know. I don't think that's inaccurate, but I, obviously we kill don't Whitey. Have... I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> kill Whitey. <laughs> um, okay. There's usually a couple more questions I ask. Oh, um, the only other one I can think of is... Since this is a podcast where I talk to comedians, uh, it's and it might seem like a hacky question, but what inspired you to get into comedy? I would say existential dread. Okay. Because when I was at my loneliest and angriest, and a lot of that was a reaction to religion, <laughs> I would turn to comedy and it would cheer me up. Okay. And so I, there were some specific voices like, you know, George Carlin, Doug Stanhope, uh, at the time, David Cross, yeah, Bill Hicks, and Patton Oswalt, who I'd turn to, and they would make me feel less alone. Yeah. And, you know, being into Louis Black, like, he was the first comic I ever saw live. And nice. uh, it, was, it was junior high. Saw it with my friend, with Sam and his father in Reading, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's uh, the more I listened to it, the more I consumed it, the more I was just like, I think that's something... I, I want to do, want to do. <laughs> what? That is me. I want to go to there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was always really good at public speaking and I liked, I liked consuming comedy a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was not, you know, this is, this is hack. This is cliche. Yeah. I was not good at anything else. Yeah. I can relate to that. Honestly. I mean, I, I, I was, uh, I like to think I'm a strong writer. Yeah. Like, not just joke writer, but writer-writer. Mm -hmm. um, and have always 
thought that I was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely always been silly. Yeah. But uh, it's that it's that existential dread and that reaching out and relating to people. Yeah. That drove me to it. And then I became trapped. <laughs> I can't, yeah. can't get out. Yeah. Not even after COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get out. <laughs> you try to. I'm stuck. You can, you can take those like those times where you don't do it on stage, but somehow it just brings you right back in. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm looking forward to going back. Yeah. And I mean, most of my experiences that involved other people have been the protests. Yeah. And so it's just like, I know that when I tell people about my protest experiences, like things that are, that seem kind of funny to me mm-hmm. or, or just sort of weird. Yeah. I'll, I'll be talking to people about them and they'll be looking at me like I just said the most fucked up thing, <laughs> just mouth agape. And they're just staring just like, Oh my God. And I'll be like, ah, no, yeah. <laughs> the timing of me getting shot in the head was perfect. <laughs> Cause that literally happened on new, on new year's Eve. Um, the clock struck 12. Mm-hmm. People started yelling happy new in a cloud of tear gas. People were yelling happy new year. <laughs> Other people were yelling for a medic and we'd just been pushed back a block by the police. And I looked at my phone and saw it was in fact midnight mm. and I started laughing and I said, happy fucking new year indeed. <laughs> and as soon as I said that you could hear the shot, the swoosh, and then the poop <laughs> and me going, whoa. And I was shot in the head with some sort of riot munition. I'm assuming a foam bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, I should clarify. I was wearing a, a, a helmet, a very, yeah, a very strong helmet. So it didn't hurt, but it startled me. And I assumed that it was something that was thrown by someone. So I was like looking around like, who did that? Mm-hmm. And this one guy behind me was like, yo, I saw that. And I was like, what was it? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what had happened for the rest of the night. I just went about my night thinking like, you know, friendly fire. And I got home and I could, I watched the video of it and I could actually hear the audio. Mm. And that's when I knew, Oh my God, that was the cops. <laughs> like yeah. I got shot in the fucking head from a block away. <laughs> so they were firing blindly yeah. through the tear gas. And I'm sending all of my friends this video because I was just like, this is so fucking funny that it's you. You couldn't I couldn't have planned it better. Like, there's no way the timing was just so perfect. And my reaction was just so pure. Mm. And most people were reacting to it like a horrible thing had happened to me. (laughs) It's just like. Oh, no, it gets so much worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how I'm going to be able to. I mean, I feel like stand up is a, a uh, probably a better way for me to show people that those no, there is humor in those experiences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to take time for me to find that line, I think. And whatever. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I mean, once you get back on stage, this is 
I've had a good amount of people recently who are like, I don't know how to write anymore. How do I write? And like, it's weird for me to say this because I, I've been doing comedy a lot less the time than a lot of these people, mm-hmm. but I've just been going back to mics and writing and stuff like yeah, that. That's what I'm anticipating. Cause I, I understand that I don't know how to write anymore feeling. Yeah. Cause I, it's, that's kind of how I feel. But like, I know that when I really start getting involved again, comedy brain's going to come back. Yep. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's like, all you got to do, just get off on stage. You don't, you can talk because as soon as you, and it's an open mic, who cares? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's, it's that, it's that thing of like, honestly, sometimes bombing is what makes you a better writer is what it is more often not. Yeah. If you suck so bad, you don't want to feel like that again. So you, you just got to find negative reinforcement. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it was when I had Kyle Adams on, he said fell forward. And I think that's a great way to say it. A great like analogy because it's it's yeah it's literally just getting better each time and learning from your mistakes and just finding a way to make people laugh at the same fucked up stuff you laugh about and and you know in comedy as with many other things in life it's about acceptance yes you have to accept that that's what it's going to be you don't have to become complacent Mm -hmm. with it and that's one of the things that i've really been focusing on lately is that there is a difference between acceptance and complacence yeah. And uh, you know what? I think that's a good place to for us to start up. That's a... Uh, Hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> Hell sane. <laughs> Anarchy! Anarchy! I don't know. I did like the... Scott Stapp Scott voice. Stapp voice. <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> Can you take me higher? Yeah.